Shalom, and thank you for listening to sermons from Tikvat Israel, a Messianic synagogue in the heart of Richmond, Virginia. Listening to the podcast is great, but we would love to meet you in person. All are welcome, and that includes you. So if you want the full experience, please join us Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for our worship service at the corner of Arthur Ashe Boulevard and Grove in the historic synagogue across from the art museum. Can't make it in person? No problem. We are also live streaming on YouTube. Contact our administrator at tikvatdirector at gmail.com for the link during the week or contact us on our website tikvatisrael.com. There, you can also support the ministry, learn more about Messianic Judaism, and find helpful resources. May Hashem bless you through the hearing of His Word. So, this picture is my dad's mother. We called her Grammy. Grammy Sylvia was her name. And uh, this talit that I'm wearing, you may notice that it's a little bit frayed and a little bit stained. And that is because it is my Grammy's grandfather's talit. In other words, my great, great grandfather. Uh, His name is on the talit bag, Joseph Cohen, and it has a little year 1901 on the the little bag in my office. So that's why I'm wearing this today. This is what was passed down to me from my family, from generation to generation. And the little boy there, that is not my son, and that is not me. Who is that? <laughs> that is my dad, that's right, with my Grammy. She was a very intelligent, a kind, a patient woman. She had to be patient because she heard my grandfather's jokes, the same jokes, for about 70 years, so you can understand. You know, Sonia has only heard my jokes for eight years, so uh, she has uh, a ways to go yet. You know, many, many years of the same jokes uh, to look forward to, I suppose. Or I could get some new ones. You know, there's always that. Uh, yeah, oh, who's clapping? <laughs> my Grammy had my dad before World War II, and when her husband was drafted as a medic, she was left with a baby for a few years. And so she had to reach out to friends and family for help. And then when my grandfather, Papa, came back from the war, they had my aunt. And they continued to build those friendships, and they lived with my grandfather's mother for a while, and they were helping out with her, which I think was very challenging, although I remember my dad really liked that because uh, she would make these pies. That's what he remembers from his grandmother, that she would always make these pies that he loved. My dad's father, her uh, Grammy's husband, was called, we called him Papa, Papa Irwin. He was a jovial man who loved to sing and make friends. I think I get a lot of my personality from him. For Hanukkah, when he was off to war, he made latkes in his helmet on the beach at Normandy for his fellow soldiers. That was the kind of guy he was, just to give you a sense of that. And Grammy and Papa had a toy store that they ran together for many years in Cambridge, Massachusetts, near Harvard University. Grammy passed on to me some really good things. She always encouraged me, not just with my studies, but whenever we would go somewhere, she was like, get whatever you want. But she had a coupon, of course, so that's why I could get whatever I want. But we'd go to the grocery store and I could get whatever I wanted. So she was really good at that. But she also encouraged me. I love music and I love theater. 
And I did a, a musical based on the book of Daniel right here in the, in the sanctuary. And uh, she came to see it. And she was very, she was like, you know, he's, he shouldn't be teaching. He should be doing this. He's so good at it. You know, she was always encouraging me uh, with whatever I was doing. She was also a little bit hard on herself, but she was willing to try new things. So she started playing tennis in her 70s. That's when she started. And in her 90s, she would get down on herself, right, for missing a shot or something like that. And we would always say, Grammy, you're the only 90-year-old that's out here. Like, you know, give yourself a break. Recently, I came across a reflection that my Grammy did about her life, and I thought it was really interesting, and this is what it said. Quote, when I think of the main satisfactions of my life, I would say they are our business that we had for 35 years. It was unique our children and their achievements, and our grandchildren. Some of my proudest moments of my life were when Melinda did her master's dance in New York City and when Martin, my dad, received his doctorate degree. When I think over what has been the greatest challenge in life, I would say that it is right now, being able to maintain some normal living. Patience is the personal quality that I have that helps me to work through these challenges. I would like people to know me for my kindness and honesty. I am caring and I'm a good cook. People should also know that life is not easy. You have to give a lot. An example of this is that my mother lived with us for 20 years, and that was a lot for my husband to give. A value that I would like to be remembered for is that I took care of my husband, Irwin, unquote. This is what Grammy wanted to pass on to her family, the values and the wisdom. And I think it's interesting that she doesn't sugarcoat things, right? She acknowledges that life can be challenging, but that patience and endurance are helpful to develop and to go through it. Toward the end of Papa's life, he developed dementia, and Grammy really took care of him then, and she took care of him most of his life, actually. And that's how she wanted to be remembered, for how she cared for her family. This week's Parsha is about the passing on of values and stories and blessing from one generation to another, and not just from parents to children. Jacob, as we know, blesses his grandsons in the Torah portion. The blessing of the grandchildren is unique in the Torah to this week's Parsha, as far as I know. It's the only time in the Torah where there is a blessing of a grandparent. Most blessings, of course, are directly to the children or something like that. We may think about the generations as isolated from one another. But in reality, they're supposed to be connected. Lador vador, from one generation to another generation. So I thought that we could begin here with a little survey that I made up to see what generations we have here. Who is, who is here? And if you're joining us in Streamland, you can also participate. So this is an informal little fun quiz that I created. I did my best to see what generation you belong to, at least culturally. Okay, so please get out your smartphone. And if you need help scanning this QR code, I have a sense of what generation you're in. <laughs> Just kidding. Please scan that and you'll go to a website and we're gonna take, we're gonna do a little survey. Let's go to the first question. Pick an influential movie. So you have The Sound of Music, Star Wars, Toy Story, or Spider-Man Homecoming. <laughs> I did my best, people. <laughs> Who picks The Sound of Music? Star Wars. <laughs> All right, Toy Story. And Spider-Man Homecoming. All right, so apparently we have mostly Gen X here, 
according culturally. All right, let's keep going. Pick an influential musician. Bob Dylan, Journey, InSync or the Backstreet Boys, and Billie Eilish. All right, so who, who thinks Bob Dylan is an influential musician? All right, Bob Dylan. All right, we got some boomers here. Uh, Journey, don't stop believing people, right? Hold them to that feeling. All right, InSync or the Backstreet Boys? Any millennials here? Okay, you got a millennial. And Billie Eilish. All right, there's no Gen Zers here, okay? Or no, none culturally. All right, let's keep going. Pick a cool word you are likely to have said. Who has said the word groovy? Who has said the word gnarly? All right, we got some. Uh, <laughs> who said the word slay? No? No millennials? And who has said the word riz? Okay, we got one Riz here. Do you guys even know what that is? <laughs> Do you know what it is? You've said it, but you don't know what it is. <laughs> That's not good. <laughs> riz is short for charisma. Somebody that has charisma, right? Oh, some people did this. This is the only one that's working. Okay, do you have a good friend who is a different generation than you? 12 people said yes, and three people said no. Well, that's pretty good. Most of us do. I'm, I'm very pleased. So what is the point of all this? <laughs> Did you connect uh, culturally with a different generation than the one you are actually in? Took a different survey online. It said I was actually a baby boomer culturally. And I'm not sure how I, how I feel about that. Let's take a look. <laughs> Don't laugh. <laughs> See me after class. You said, okay, boomer. <laughs> How are we connecting with those that are older than us? And how are we connecting with those that are younger than us? How are we connecting with our children and those in our children's generation? And what are we passing on of value? This is what we're thinking about. And this brings us to this week's Torah portion where Jacob blesses his grandchildren. Many scholars can consider this to actually be a formal adoption. And when compared to adoption texts of the ancient Near East, Genesis 48 matches up. The Jewish scholar Nahum Sarna says this in the JPS commentary on Genesis, quote, a striking analogy to the present narrative is provided by an Akkadian legal document from Ugaritic is a, is a language kind of like Hebrew, recording the adoption of a grandson by a grandfather who then makes him his heir, unquote. So what does this adoption mean? It means because Jacob is communicating a legacy of inheritance. That's what it means. He is elevating Joseph's sons, his grandsons, to the place of Jacob's sons to show the value of their inheritance. And this isn't just an inheritance of land or wealth, although it includes that. It's also the inheritance of faith, of trusting God and blessing. It's the inheritance of knowing where you come from, your story, who your people are. It's the inheritance of being anchored in a story that God is writing, not just in one generation, but across many generations. Isn't God writing that story of his faithfulness across generation to generation? That's what the Lord is doing. So we are not just anchored in our personal family stories. We are anchored also in the good news, the narrative of the scriptures. We're connected to Yeshua's story, and Yeshua's story is connected to the story of Israel.
So how are we communicating this story to the next generation? Well, let's take a look at what Jacob passes on. This is from Genesis 48. This is the chapter before what we read in our Torah portion of when he blesses and gives a prophetic encouragement to his sons. This is one chapter earlier. After these things, someone told Joseph, Behold, your father is sick. So he took his two sons, Menashe and Ephraim, with him. When someone told Jacob, Behold, your son Joseph has come to you, Israel summoned his strength and sat up in the bed. Then Jacob said to Joseph, El Shaddai appeared to me in Luz, in the land of Canaan, and blessed me. He said to me, I am going to make you fruitful and multiply you and turn you into an assembly of peoples, and I will give this land to your seed after you as an everlasting possession. So now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt, they are mine. Ephraim and Menashe will be mine, just like Reuben and Simeon. What is that? That's adoption. Any descendant of yours whom you father after them will be yours. They will be identified by the names of their brothers for their inheritance. Now as for me, when I came from Padan, to my sorrow, Rachel died along the way in the land of Canaan, while we were still a distance from entering Ephrath, and I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is, Bethlehem. So what do we notice here in the text? Just like my Grammy shares both the good and the challenging, Jacob passes on both the story of God's faithfulness and the hardships that he went through. He doesn't sugarcoat it. He mentions the worst loss of his life, his beloved wife, Rachel. And then Jacob weaves God's faithfulness into his suffering. And when is he doing this? He's doing it this at the end of his life so he can pass it on he can pass on God's faithfulness through suffering to the next generation. And not just to the next one, right? To the one after that, the next two generations. Also notice that the text refers to Jacob here often as his other name, which is what? Israel, that's right. Why is it doing that? Because it's highlighting his role as the father of Joseph, the grandfather of Ephraim and Menashe, and more importantly, the father of the Jewish people. We are called Israel. Right, We are the sons of Israel. Israel, also called Jacob, is the one from whom all 12 tribes come, of course. And here he is formally adopting his grandsons in order to establish their inheritance, both physical and spiritual. Let's go back to the story. Then Israel saw Joseph's sons and said, who are these? Joseph said to his father, they're my sons whom God has given me here. Then he said, please bring them to me so I may bless them. Now Israel's eyes had grown heavy with old age. He could not see. So he brought them near to him, and he kissed them and hugged them. Then Israel said to Joseph, to see your face I didn't expect. And look, God has let me see your offspring as well. Some scholars connect the who are these question with Jacob's blindness. He can't see who the children are. But others would say that this is part of the formal adoption language. Any formal proceeding usually has a person state their name or they have it stated for them, even if everyone already knows who the people are. Think of a wedding, perhaps. Do you, Francine, take Gerald to be your lawfully wedded husband? No one ever interrupts and goes, now why did they say their names? We know who they are. Let's get on with the wedding. No one would ever do that. Hopefully. Okay, so perhaps this is Jacob establishing the formality of the adoption and his intention for blessing. That's why he says, who are these? Also, imagine the immense joy and restoration here, where Jacob had thought he had lost Joseph. 
his son, only now to see his children, his uh, Jacob's grandchildren. The scene recalls God's faithfulness and also the immense forgiveness and maturity of Joseph to see what his brothers did against him in the context of God's sovereignty, to comfort them even when they were fearful and to provide for them at the end of the story. Forgiveness begets blessing. Forgiveness begets blessing. Some folks talk about generational curses, and that can happen, but what about generational blessing? What about passing on blessings from our grandparents and our parents, and even further back, and then on to the next generation? Let's remember how Joseph's legacy of forgiveness passes onward to his sons. Because Joseph did what he did, that's why this scene is taking place. That's why his sons are getting this amazing blessing. Let's continue with our story. Then Joseph took them from his knees and bowed with his face down to the ground. Then Joseph took the two of them, Ephraim with his right hand, across from Israel's left, and Menashe with his left hand, across from Israel's right, and brought them close to him. But Israel stretched out his right hand and placed it upon Ephraim's head, though he was the younger, and the left hand he placed upon Menashe's head, crossing his hands, though Menashe was the firstborn. So can we all do that real quick? Then he blessed Joseph and said, the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has shepherded me throughout my life to this day, the angel who redeemed me from all evil, may he bless the boys and may they be called by my name, by the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac. May they multiply to a multitude in the midst of the land. I just want to go back real quick. Did you notice this in in verse 15? There's something interesting there. What does it say? Then he blessed Joseph. Not he blessed Ephraim and Menashe. He blessed Joseph. Why does it say that, do you think? I think because the writer of Genesis is showing, again, how to bless Joseph's sons is to bless Joseph. So if anyone blesses my son or takes care of my son or encourages my son or speaks kindness to my son or love to my son, what does that do to me? That blesses me, because that's my pride and joy. That's my son that I love. Again, this also highlights Joseph's role in the direction away from fighting and favoritism toward forgiveness. Now, the word here for multiply in the Hebrew can also be interpreted as multiplied like a fish. It's related to the word for fish, which is dog. So why do we think that is? Why does uh, Jacob bless them? You're gonna multiply in multitudes like a fish. Well, we we think of uh, the Genesis story, right? About how the Lord bestowed that blessing on the fish to be fruitful and multiply in the creation. This is from Or HaChaim, which was uh, written by Rabbi Chaim Ibn Attar, who lived in Morocco in the 1700s, and he explains it this way. They will multiply on earth just like the fish. Jacob's considerations may have been similar to the blessings God bestowed on the fish in Genesis 1. I explained there that a special blessing for the fish was called for due to their habitat being less suited for successful and enduring procreation than the conditions prevailing on dry land. God therefore increased the fish's natural reproductive powers to counter the negative conditions prevailing in their habitat. Jacob too accorded Joseph's son's greater powers of reproduction, fruitfulness really, when he blessed them by comparing their fruitfulness to that of a fish, unquote. Of course, fruitfulness is not just making more people 
But why is he referring to the fish? He's referring to provision. He's referring to blessing. Gardening the earth is fruitfulness. What about other kinds of fruit? Is there fruit of the spirit? Love, peace, patience, joy, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's what Jacob is speaking over them. You would multiply like fish. You'd be fruitful like fish. This is the fruit of the spirit. Multiplying like a fish also reminds us of what? Yeshua, right, the gospel story. The little boy who only had five loaves and two fish. And what happened? Yeshua used that little bit to feed thousands. Why did Yeshua pick the fish? Maybe he was thinking about this story. Maybe he was thinking about Jacob. It was the miraculous multiplication of fish to provide for the people who had come so far to hear the words of Yeshua and to cling to him. Fruitfulness, provision, and the faithfulness of God are bestowed upon Ephraim and Menashe. And we actually just did that a few minutes ago, right? When we said the blessing of Jacob, we were saying the same blessings of fruitfulness, provision, and blessing, and the faithfulness of God that Jacob did. So let's check out the conclusion of the story. When Joseph saw that his father placed his right hand upon Ephraim's head, it was wrong in his eyes. So he took hold of his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head to Menashe's head. Joseph said to his father, not like that, my father, because this one's the firstborn. Put your right hand upon his head. Oh, dad is getting old. Must have gotten it wrong, right? (laughs) But no, Jacob is wise in this. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also will become a people and he will also become great. But his younger brother will become greater than he and his seed will be the fullness of the nations. Wow. Then he blessed them that day and saying, in you shall Israel bless by saying, may God make you like Ephraim and Menashe, which is what we just said. Thus he put Ephraim before the younger one, before Menashe. And that's how we say it. Ephraim always gets first billing. Sonia and I, whenever we write a card or something like that to somebody, it's like, well, who gets first billing? Is it love David and Sonia or is it love Sonia and David? And usually it's whoever knows them better, (laughs) whoever's closest to that person. But Ephraim, for all eternity, he gets first billing, even though he's the younger one. Again, the text is calling attention to how we got here. How did we get here? By Joseph's faithfulness and forgiveness as the almost youngest brother, the younger brother of all of his brothers, right? He surpassed them not by finagling the way Jacob did, but by forgiving and by using his power and authority for good. He reversed the favoritism. Remember, he was his dad's favorite. He got that special coat, but he reversed that and the enmity, the anger between brothers that we saw in the earlier generation. That's what we saw with Jacob and Esau, but he didn't continue that. He took all of the blessing and passed that on to his sons, and he took none of the curse, none of the the anger and the bitterness. He didn't take that with him. So he stopped that in his generation. So one person can do that, can totally change history. Jacob crosses his hands in the blessing. The younger brother Ephraim will be set above Menashe, just like Jacob was above Esau. But this time, there's none of the deception going on, none of the trickery and fraternal rivalry that we've seen in Jacob's narrative, or for that matter, in the narratives of Genesis as a whole, right? Remember Cain and Abel, 
Isaac versus Ishmael, Jacob versus Esau, Joseph versus his brothers, and even the wives, the quote-unquote sister wives, the conflicts can be seen this way, Sarah versus Hagar, Rachel versus Leah. But this stops. It stops with Joseph and with his sons. Ephraim and Menashe are different. There is no record of their rivalry in the text. No record of it. This seems to be a break from the cycle of brother against brother, pointing toward humility, harmony, and preferring one to the other. And this is the blessing we use, as I said, every week in our synagogues and synagogues all over the world to bless the next generation. So when we bless our children with this blessing, we're proclaiming a break in the cycle of contention between brothers. We are declaring a vision of shalom among natural and spiritual brothers and sisters, the fullness of which comes how? Through the Prince of Peace, the Prince of Shalom, Yeshua the Messiah. I'd like to wrap this up with some final questions to consider. What words are we speaking over the next generation? What are we communicating and asking to the generation that came before us? Are we responsible merely for blessing our own flesh and blood children? Or does it go beyond that? Does it go to our grandchildren? And does it go beyond that to all those in the next generation? Do we have spiritual children that we are blessing and encouraging? Do we have spiritual parents that we're learning from and gleaning from? Are we communicating sugar-coated pleasantries to the next generation? Or are we communicating the faithfulness of God through difficulty and suffering? Our words of blessing matter. The book of Genesis begins with God creating everything through his word. And there's a bookend to it because it opens with God creating everything with his word and it closes how? With Jacob, Jacob's words of blessing, Jacob's words of encouragement. What kinds of words are we saying to younger folks, to older folks, to our family? What kinds of words are we saying to ourselves, in our own heart? Are they kind? Are they words of blessing? What are we passively passing on without really being aware of it? Because we're not aware of our words. We're not aware of our actions. And what are we actively passing on with our words? Does it reflect the values of the Torah, the narrative of Joseph and the gospel of Yeshua? The central prayer of our people, the Shema, reminds us what? Teach these things, teach this Torah diligently to your children. We must pass on blessing. We must speak blessing. We must encourage and build up. We must give our wisdom and counsel to those who have not yet gone where we have. And we must listen to the wisdom and counsel of those who have gone before. Because the reality is we are one generation. We are one generation here. We're not boomers versus Gen X versus Gen Z, Gen Alpha, Gen Omega, whatever it is. We are one generation in the Messiah's sight because that's what he said. He said one generation would, would see his return. This is what he said in Matthew 24. Now learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branch becomes tender and puts forth leaves, 
you know that summer is near. He's talking about, you notice things are happening in the times, in the world. So also when you see all these things, know that it is near at the door. Amen. I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all these things happen. He's referring to that future generation, I believe, as one that we will welcome Messiah as one generation. We will say, Baruch Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. And we are made in the image of the Lord, and so our words also matter. Avinu, our Father, thank you that you're faithful to us. We thank you for stories from our families, from our grandparents, and the things that they have taught us that are good, and the values that they have passed on to us. We thank you so much for that, because where would we be if we weren't standing on their shoulders? We also ask for the courage to take the things that they should not have passed on to us and to reverse those things in the name of Yeshua, that we can pass on a blessing to our children and our spiritual children, and that we would be humble to receive from the generation before us. And in Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. Amen.